I'm Emily Rowney. And I'm Alicia Holland. This is Bill Camp, the voice of Forensic Files 2 on HLN, and you're listening to Murder in the Rain. While a warning should be obvious, as this is a true crime show where we talk about crime and have naughty words in our bloopers, today's episode is especially vulgar as I will be quoting a racist murderer and playing audio from the attack and court testimony. Additionally, I'm feeling feisty and I'm fed up, so my language is going to be pretty naughty too. Sorry, mom and dad. Long story short, today we're going with a hard R rating. I would call myself a horror film aficionado, but I hesitate a little as I'm not 100% on the definition of aficionado. Oh well, it sounds good. Once you get to talking to someone that's into horror, it quickly breaks into a more specific conversation. What genre within a genre, as Alex Trebek would say. Some love sci-fi, some love when a kid gets possessed, which I always hate because it feels like a day at work. Just take the kid on a sensory break or something. So when the question of genre preference is presented to me, it's an easy one real life. While some of my favorites are Get Out, Trick or Treat, or Hereditary, my very favorites are ones like The Strangers, You're Next, and Frozen, the ski lift one, not the Disney one, although the Disney one is equally upsetting. I love those movies because they feel real, like those circumstances could actually all come to be, and before you know it, your life has become a horror movie. It's the mundaneness of those stories, the way they use regular, everyday activities, and by introducing one small circumstance, it changes your monotony into a nightmare. There are few things as monotonous and mundane as your daily commute. For this story, we're going to have to pretend we're in BC, before COVID times, and that we all still commute. Every workday, 34 million trips are taken on public transportation in the United States. 121,000 people ride the Portland train system, MAX, the fourth largest public train transportation system in the U.S., every day. Our MAX system is an electric, above-ground train, similar to those in San Francisco, but with less mess with all those wires going all over the place. And it was on one of those mundane, daily routine rides home on the MAX that lives were taken, lives were changed, and lives were fought for. Today I will be telling the stories of Ricky Best, Talesian Marden Namkaimechi, Micah David Cole Fletcher, Demetria Hardesty, and all victims to some degree or another of the white supremacist terrorist Jeremy Christian. While most Americans have ridden public transportation at least once, 43% of Americans don't have easy access to it. For those that have ridden, I don't have to explain the vibe on a ride. For anyone listening that falls in the 43%, I'm sure you've seen it on TV and your perception is probably pretty close to the real thing. Everyone has access and when you're in a city, you get to see, hear, smell, and experience all walks of life. For the most part, everyone keeps to themselves and is eager to get away from you as you are to get away from them. Time to time, though, things go wrong as they are wont to do in a crowd like that. I've been with adult students that have had bathroom issues on the bus. I've had two separate experiences in which a woman, a different woman each time, obviously, has had a seizure. If you ask anyone that knows me, I somehow tend to find myself in these situations. So when a woman fell into my row of seats on the bus and started to seize, I grabbed her to get her to the floor. She then started to fall forward and was going to fall down the three stairs that led to the section that we were in. I held her by her shirt and screamed out, she's going to fall, can someone please help catch her? My plea was met with silence. I did my best to hold her and to get her to the ground. It was then that I did get a response from the businessman sitting directly where she was falling. He reached down, 
to move his briefcase and then moved his feet so that she wouldn't touch him. The same thing happened with the second time. Couldn't get anyone to help. One gal eventually called 911 when I yelled at her to do so. My point being, things can go down on the train or bus and you can't always count on those around you to step in and help. But that wasn't the case on the Max on May 26, 2017. I've spoken before on other cases about just how much Portland isn't the hippie utopia we all wish it could be and how pansy-ass white supremacists like to hang around here because they feel like they have strength in numbers. One of those white supremacists and terrorists is 38-year-old Jeremy Christian. In 2002, Jeremy Christian was sentenced to eight years in prison for armed robbery and attempted kidnapping. While the crime transpired, a police officer shot Jeremy in the face, injuring him, but he recovered. During those eight years, he spent a lot of time in solitary confinement, mostly for starting fights and using racial slurs on deputies. While we haven't talked specifically about solitary confinement, the synopsis is, it is very bad for your brain. Khalif Browder, anyone? So it comes as no surprise that witness after witness during the trial spoke about Jeremy falling behind mentally, socially, and emotionally while he was in prison and being different once he was out. That he had been a sweet kid, but once he was released, he talked angrily about race, politics, and freedom of speech. When not in prison, Jeremy lived with his mom in North Portland and never ventured out on his own, dated, or held a job. But in his own words, he was a bit of a transient. As early as 1996, Jeremy was having run-ins with police. Nothing serious, but signs of what was to come. Then came citations and other incidents on public transport, but again, nothing serious. Arrested in 2010 for residential burglary, no charges came from the arrest, though. On to 2015, where he received a citation for criminal trespassing. Through the years, there were other run-ins or instances of being neither the suspect nor the victim, but he was always involved somehow. The night before his murderous attacks, Jeremy was on the max and exhibiting similar behaviors as he would the next afternoon. Maybe he was hoping that by yelling, well, I'll let him say it in his own words, this is footage taken on the train right before his first attack on a passenger. You know what? You know what you got with what I'm saying? Fuck all you Christians and Muslims and fucking Jews. Fucking die. Burn you at the stake just like you did my pagan ancestors. Fuck you, die. You know what I did? Mean? What? I'm gonna do something about it. Fuck. Yeah. Keep laughing, bitches. All you motherfucking taxpayers on here, fuck punk ass bitches. Taxation is death. I don't pay no taxes. I'm a patriot. I'm police the police. Fuck. Almost like we got a Christian or Muslim fucking bus driver. I stab you too, bitch. Move forward. Move forward, Max Driver. Fuck you. So maybe he was hoping that he would rile up fellow passengers and take out his premeditated rage on them. And yes, you heard that right at the end. I'm about to stab some motherfuckers. Call the police. I dare you. But instead of a fight ensuing, he encountered Demetria Hester. Demetria was on her way home on the max from her sous chef job when a few stops later, a large white man boarded and sat near her. 
After a few stops, he began ranting about hating Jews, blacks, Muslims, and that he was a neo-Nazi hoping to recruit others. In what was to become his M.O., he found Demetria in her seat by the driver's door and set his sights on her as his next victim. Because that's what big, brave white supremacists do. They pick on whom they deem as weaker than them. A black female is perceived as being a much easier target than a fellow white man when you are a total coward. Demetria was the only black person on board, and she took it upon herself to shut him up. Remember, this was a few years ago, and it was shortly after the terrorist attacks against anti-white supremacist groups in Charlottesville. Compelled to speak up, she said, As a paid writer, would you please lower your voice? No one wants to hear you threaten or terrorize other people because of their gender, their race, or who they were. His response? Fuck you, bitch. He went into more detail about how she didn't have the right to speak to him or be on the train. Damn, these rights people can be so hypocritical. According to Demetria, Jeremy said, I built this country. You don't have a right to speak. You're black. You don't have a right to be here. All you Muslims, blacks, Jews, I will kill all of you. Although she wasn't alone on the train that night, she was left to her own defenses when it was highlighted in court that no one on the train said anything to either party to tell him to leave or let her know that they had her back. Nothing. Being a smart black woman that takes public transportation home late at night, Demetria always carried mace and chose a seat near the conductor's door for just such an occasion. Utilizing her location, she knocked on the door and knocked and knocked, but didn't get any response. Three more stops passed, and there was no response from the conductor. A few stops later, and it was time for her to change lines. The MAX system has five lines, taking you north, south, east, west, and everywhere in between, and she needed the other line to get home. So at the Rose Quarter Transit Center, Demetria disembarked, but was met face-to-face -face with Jeremy, who had also stepped off, but from a different door. While the conductor hadn't stopped the train or answered her calls for help, they did reach out to the command center to have someone meet the train at that stop. Once off the train, Jeremy's rants didn't subside. According to Demetria, he continued, I will kill anyone who stands in my way because I have the right to do this, before turning back to her to say, Bitch, you're about to get it now. There's a video of this interaction. It's sad, frustrating, and scary to watch. I'll let Demetria explain in her own words what then took place from her witness testimony during his trial. Who's that in that second door? Jeremy Christian. And you? Right there. What's going on right there? He's looking at me and telling me I'm about to get it now, bitch. In there? He's pointing at me, telling me I'm about to get it now. What do you do? Continue with my mace in my hand, walking. What's about to happen here? Me spraying him with mace. And then what? He throws the bottle to my eye. What happens to the bottle? It hits my eye and it falls down after it splashes all over the conductor's window and myself. Where did you go? Stumbles over to, as I'm wiping my bloody eye, I stumbled over to the other platform to catch the green light. Your goal was still what that night? <laughs> to go home. How'd that feel when your eye got struck with that bottle? I know, it's a dumb question, but you gotta tell me how it felt. 
it hurt extremely bad. I couldn't, I couldn't even feel my right side of my eye. So as she knocked on the conductor's door, stood up against racism, and just tried to get home from work, she had to fight against an attacker whilst all other passengers sat and did nothing. One woman eventually stopped to check on her after Demetria had been hit in the face with Jeremy's Gatorade bottle full of sangria. Additionally, Demetria claimed that two TriMet workers, along with dozens of others that were on the platform, all continued to watch and not intervene. And FYI, TriMet is the all-encompassing public transportation in Portland, while Max is specifically the train. 20 minutes later, a police officer arrived. As they tried to understand what had happened by asking those on the platform, no one claimed to have been involved in the disturbance that had warranted the call. Not even Jeremy himself, when he was asked by that officer, admitted to having been there. Almost like he totally knew he was in the wrong and didn't want to get in trouble. So much for the, I'm not scared of going to prison. Then the police got to Demetria, who was speaking with the TriMet supervisors. When the officer asked her what had happened, she explained and pointed out Jeremy as the perpetrator, as did one of the witnessing supervisors. As they explained that the man washing the mace off of his face was who they had called about, the officer responded with the fact that they had already asked those on the platform if they had anything to do with it, and Jeremy said no. <laughs> and he also didn't really seem worried that the police were there. So future note to self, if you're ever in trouble. Just act like you're not. Just say no. Yeah, and don't be scared of the cops. Okay, that sounds reasonable. The police report claims that Demetria was asked twice to point out the assailant and that she told the officer it wasn't Jeremy on both occasions. The officer then took her ID as she begged him to do something about the monster that loomed in her view over the officer's shoulder. But alas, it was more important to run the ID of a bleeding black female victim than to do anything to detain the suspect. Bored, Jeremy then walked away. But it wasn't until he was gone, according to police, that Demetria was able to point out that he was in fact the man that had attacked her. The officer briefly followed in his car, waiting for additional police support, but by then, they just couldn't track him. It's weird how the report makes it sound like it was her fault, and not that they didn't listen or respond correctly right away. As you watch the video or listen to her testimony, it's clear that she is not a quiet, meek, fearful person. She is a strong woman that speaks out against injustices to the point of being assaulted, but she was too shaken up to point to the man that had harmed her? I don't think so. As the officer that made the report left, Demetria had chilling parting words for him. Catch him because he's going to harm or kill someone. The next day, her heart dropped when she was informed of the disturbing news. Sad and bitter, she was left to grapple with her close encounter, fortuitous survival, and inept police work that cost the lives of two members of her community. Growing up in Ashland and graduating from Reed College in Portland in 2016 with an economics degree, 23-year-old Talson Namke Mechi had just started as an intern for the consulting company, the Cadmus Group. Just a glance of any photo of Talison, and you can sense his gentle, loving, exuberant spirit. That's not just a hunch. It was how he was known. A spiritual man, he studied philosophy, spent time in Indonesia, and took friends on informative hikes through local parks and forests. In talking to BuzzFeed, Vajara Alaya Matea said her brother lived a joyous and full life with an infectious enthusiasm. She continued, 
We lost him in a senseless act that brought close to home the insidious rift of prejudice and intolerance that is too familiar, too common. He was resolute in his conduct and respect of all people. In his final act of bravery, he held true to what he believed is the way forward. He will live in our hearts forever as the just, brave, loving, hilarious, and beautiful soul he was. We ask that in honor of his memory, we use this tragedy as an opportunity for reflection and change. We choose love. His girlfriend added to the praise of his heart and kindness, saying he was the kindest, purest, most amazing person she'd ever met. Rick Best was a 53-year-old Army veteran that worked for the city of Portland as a technician for the city's Bureau of Development Services Department. An Oregon native, Rick had spent most of his life in Salem when not deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan as a platoon sergeant for Corps maintenance. After 23 years with the Army, he settled into his civilian life, living with his wife, three sons, and daughter in Happy Valley, which lies just outside Portland. And settle might not be accurate. Intolerant of what he felt was an inept county board, he ran for Clackamas County Commissioner. While he didn't win, it was telling of his nature that he ran the entire campaign without accepting donations. Wow. I know, impressive, right? Yeah, that is. Known for being great at his job and always the first one you could go to for help, it was no surprise that he was the first to step in to problem solve. And that's exactly what happened on that fateful commute. Tallison and Rick were stepping in to help. They stood up to protect others at the cost of their own lives. It's the afternoon of May 26th on the MAX train headed from Portland State University to Clackamas Town Center Mall. Less than 18 hours ago, Jeremy was berating and attacking a woman on a different MAX before walking away from police. Now he's back on a train and back on his bullshit. This time, though, it isn't 10.30 at night. It's 4.30 on a workday afternoon. The train is much more full. Two young girls, Destiny Magnum and Walia Muhammad, are on the train, and soon they will become his new targets. In a twist of horrible irony, the girls weren't even supposed to be on that train. In fact, they had gotten lost and were trying to get where they needed. At Lloyd Center, another mall in the center of Portland, a 250-pound tall man with long hair got on the train. It was Jeremy. As he took a seat across from the young ladies, 16 and 17 years old respectively, he looked at them, locked eyes, and ran his finger across his throat. Known for being involved in multiple fights in prison, Jeremy knew how to start them, pick the victim, get someone else riled up, and push it too far. He was setting a trap. Sitting just a few feet away, he immediately started to verbally attack the girls, especially Walia Muhammad, the 17-year-old that had immigrated from Somalia when she was five as she was wearing a hijab. For eight minutes, he went off saying, You're nothing. Kill yourself. Get out of this country. Burn. Muslims should die. Go back to Saudi Arabia. Jeremy went on and on at the young women of color, eventually even holding up the Book of Mormon and referring to the religious text. As his rant continued, the fear was overwhelming, so the girls moved to another part of the train. At that time, another white man behind Christian did speak up to support his vile spewing of hate. But moving away didn't help. He continued, and they were the target. They sat in terror as they watched the car full of their neighbors, disabled by fear or apathy, allow the attack to go on. No one was pushing the emergency button to stop the train to allow them to get away or have Jeremy escorted off. What they didn't know is that Jeremy was on several radars and courage was being built up by those good Samaritans as they braced to engage with him. Now out of physical harm, they stayed put and watched in horror as people finally did step up to protect them. 
One man, Sean Ford, did what he could from afar. He stood between Jeremy and the girls, hoping to distract him. Seeing how scared the girls were, he hoped that, as a black man, Jeremy would direct his comments towards him or stop altogether. Sean tried to keep it light, saying, Hey man, it's Friday. No one wants to hear that. It was met with a fuck off. Sean responded by pointing to the emblem on his baseball hat so Jeremy could see he was a Marine. Sean went on to tell him, hey, I have more rights and have done more for this country than you have. Using his New York street smarts and military training, he knew not to step forward as he anticipated Jeremy would be explosive. Another passenger, Micah Fletcher, started to walk towards Jeremy and Sean stopped him, pointing out, he's just talking, he's just talking. It was at that moment that Micah realized he knew the man spouting out hate. He had heard it all before, just a month prior, at a rally. But more about that later. As Jeremy spouted things like, get the fuck out and free speech or die, he was also reaching into his left pants pocket to put something in his hand. Simultaneously, Tallison started walking towards him from the back of the train. As he approached, he had his phone out, and according to Jeremy, he made a comment about him becoming internet famous. Perhaps thinking he was just going to film another Karen, he took a seat across from Jeremy. The rants continued, and once Jeremy saw Tallison, he quickly stood and postured, going from a get-the-fuck-out to do-something. There are studies about how people act in all kinds of situations, one being an intervention like this, and how it takes just one person to act, and then others will feel a sense of permission, or I'm not alone in this, so they also step up. Cue Micah and Rick. Michael was now a bit farther away after Sean convinced him that they should leave Jeremy alone. Michael was commuting from school to work, listening to his music on noise-canceling headphones. So when Jeremy and Tellison got into it, it caught his ear once again. Within seconds of Jeremy standing up to Tallison, Micah, thinking Tallison had been struck, seemingly appears out of nowhere and was standing by his side. Tallison, being 6'2", bushy-haired and bearded, dwarfed the shorter, skinnier, nearly big-bald Micah, but that didn't matter. Perceiving Tallison as looking surprised and having things in his hands, and Micah's history of being, in his words, a victim of violence, it was clear to Micah that Tallison was not prepared for a fight, which seemed at that point inevitable. Something that has really struck me in the time I've been doing this show is the timing of murders. Because someone losing their life is a big deal, and the glamorization of it always seems like murder should take time. Like, you couldn't possibly be existing one second and gone the next. But as I've learned from so many stories, and this one being no exception, that just isn't the case. Seven seconds. That's the time it took from Tellison approaching Jeremy, Micah standing between them, Jeremy pushing Micah on the shoulders and into the wall of the train, and to turn and push Tellison's shoulders. In what seemed to be the same second, Micah grabbed Jeremy's chest and shirt and his long, disgusting ponytail and threw him to the ground with a fuck off, boy. There are a lot of videos on YouTube of the attacks, and all that I've seen have been blurred, thank goodness, but to watch this 21-year-old, and I mean no disrespect, but I can't think of another word but scrappy kid, take down this huge guy out of protecting those girls, the other passengers, and Tellison is quite impressive. It's a very mom-lifting-a-car-off-of-her-kids moment. It didn't take long for Jeremy to pop right back up. Now in the aisle was Micah, Tellison, and right behind him, Rick Best. They formed a human train in hopes of getting Jeremy off the one they were riding. As Jeremy pushed back into Micah, Micah pushed back. He and Jeremy had words while Tellison and Rick provided backup support. 
Micah pushed Jeremy into a seat, but he wasn't as quick to get up as he had been the other two times. He took a moment to move what he had been holding in his left hand to his right, and then he stood. His hand, now slightly behind his right leg, was holding a large folding knife that he had opened, but his leg was concealing it and the men were looking at his face. As Micah used invasion of space tactics to get Jeremy to an open door, he motioned with a wave and gave him a, go on, get. All of that took only 30 seconds. As another push to get off the train occurred, Jeremy said, hit me again, motherfucker, I dare you. Micah, not interested in the dare, more so the safety of the passenger, pushed him at the now open doors. Without a hint of movement from Jeremy's body, Micah was met with what he thought was a punch to the neck. It happened so quickly, Tallison, who had been on his phone for a few moments, didn't even have time to look up as Micah was attacked. As Micah lifted his arms to protect from another blow, he looked down to see the massive amount of blood that was covering his shirt, blood that was coming from the stab wound that Jeremy had delivered to his neck. Micah put his hands on his neck and tried to slow his heart rate as he was certain he was going to die, having his jugular sliced. Falling to the ground, Micah crawled away from Jeremy and out the doors onto the platform at the Hollywood Transit Center. Before Tallison could even put his phone or Tupperware down, the knife met his neck, striking his carotid artery. Rachel Macy, a black woman that was also on the train, was with Tallison. As the blood left his body with every heartbeat, he begged her not to leave him alone. Once Tallison backed away, Rick Best, who hadn't said or done anything but stand in support as almost every veteran would do, was ambushed and stabbed in the back of the neck. Being stabbed just below the skull, arteries were severed. This is an unsurvivable and nearly instantly fatal wound. While Rick lay nearly lifeless, Jeremy continued to stab him in the neck and face, doing so with such force he actually broke one of Rick's molars. He then stabbed Tallison in the forehead, skull, behind the ear, and on his hand, which was a defensive wound. The stabbing of three men, leaving two dead, only took 12 seconds. While the video is blurred, the audio isn't, and the eeriest part is the silence. It's all so fast. No one is screaming. It's just over. Tallison's blood loss was massive and immediate. As Rachel stood between Tallison and Jeremy, she was berated. Colored people are ruining my city, he remarked while pointing a bloody knife at her before stepping off the train. Rachel had Tallison lay down and held his hand while she prayed. Watching the actual waves of blood splash up and down the train flooring, she only wanted to comfort him. He asked if she could feel the creator's presence. They smiled at each other before he closed his eyes and nodded. He opened his eyes again and put his hand on her face before saying his last words. Tell everyone on this train that I love them. He was taken out on a stretcher and she looked into his eyes as she saw the panic overcome him. She kept talking to him, saying he was still alive. She was there with him. As the medics and stretcher made their way up the stairs, she watched him take one last large breath. While Micah crouched on the platform, he watched Jeremy exit swiftly, but not running, while continuing to point a bloody knife at everyone around him. A man named Marcus helped apply pressure to Micah's wound using a jacket and baby blanket, and then helped Micah do the only thing he could think of to do in what he felt were his last moments. He called his mother. Why was it important? I mean, I thought you were going to die. I guess you told us that. Why was it important for you to make a phone call at that point in time? Because if, if these are going to be my last moments, in my mind, there's just, I just needed to do something real quick. I just needed to make sure that uh, somebody was okay before I went. Who did you call? I called my mother. 
she here in the courtroom? Oh, that is correct, yes. What did you say? I said, hey, Mom, how's it going? I said, hey, Mom, how's it going? And, and she said, good. And she said, are you okay? Because she could obviously tell from the sound of my voice that something was happening. And uh, I, I said, uh, oh, right. Um, I want to say Marcus was talking to her first, actually, on the phone. I apologize. That's all right. Um, Marcus, because Marcus, of course, had to dial it because I was about as present and cogent as one would expect from a stabbing victim. So Marcus calls her and, and he does one of the kindest things I think he did in the entirety of the moment. He lies to her and he tells her that I was stabbed in the arm because I recognize in the moment that he realizes he's talking to a mother and he's a father and he realizes now is not the time to panic her, right? Sure. So tells her that I'm stabbed in the arm, asks if, I would, if she would like to speak with me and I'm assuming my mom said yes because he, he, uh, he then hands me the phone. To which I go, hey, mom, and she goes, and I go, how's it going? And she's like, good, and she's like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I got hurt, don't worry, it's fine. And she's like, yeah, okay, where are you? And I explained to her that I'm on, I'm at the Hollywood Transit Center. Um, and then, uh, then I told her I loved her, and uh, that I'd see her soon. And I, uh, I asked her, as an aside, uh, to call my work and let them know uh, that I wouldn't be making making it in today, uh, which seems funny. Uh, but the reason I was telling her that is was because I, I didn't want her to realize how hurt I was. And if I'm not going to make it to work today, that means I'm probably going to be there eventually. So. A little bit of hope. Yeah. You remember Officer Nutty coming and using some special gauze to stick into your neck with his finger. <laughs> Yeah, I did not like that. When giving his witness testimony, Micah had the biggest physical reaction to talking about getting assistance from a medical professional that put gauze into his wound with his fingers. When asked for more detail, he responded with, I could feel his fingers in my neck. I could feel parts of my body that I didn't know had nerves in them. It was unpleasant. Rick Best died on the scene. Talison Namki-Mechi was pronounced dead at the hospital. Micah Fletcher had emergency surgery to close the wound and remove bone fragments from his neck. He was hospitalized for about a week before being sent home. Unfortunately, the victimization towards Rick Best continued. As he lay bloody on the floor of the Max, 52-year-old homeless heroin addict, veteran, and in 2010 recipient of a Citizens Award from the Portland Police Bureau for stopping a bank robber, George Elwood Tishagny, saw an opportunity. He approached Rick and took his backpack and wedding ring. He was soon caught, and luckily for the family, he still had the ring and bag. He was sentenced to prison for 20 days before being in and out of drug treatment. At one point, he was clean, but I was unable to find an update on him. However, his story isn't rare, a veteran with knee pain leading to pills, opiates, which then lead to heroin. Then a decision to steal made him the most hated man in the city. Let's go back a little bit. At the Hollywood Transit Center, Micah was on the landing while Rick and Tallison were still on board, bleeding to death. Being that the track runs under and around the freeway system, some stops are on the ground and some are on platforms. The Hollywood stop is on a platform two stories up. 
After completing his mission of stabbing people that were standing up to his hate speech, Jeremy led with his knife as he made his way to the stairs. Putting the knife away, he threw a stolen backpack over the overpass and onto the freeway before casually storming off. By then, police were already en route and caught up with him on a side road. In what is all too common for white supremacists and armed white guys, he had a few minutes standoff with the police while pointing his knife at them before being arrested and taken into custody. Hey, Alicia, have you given much thought to home security? I mean, we do host a true crime podcast. It would be nice to have peace of mind, but it just seems like something that doesn't fit my lifestyle. That's what I thought too, but then I found Simply Safe. So let's play a game. You tell me all of the reasons why you don't have a home security system, and I'll blow your mind with some reasons why Simply Safe is a good option for you. Yay, a game! Okay, uh, number one, cost. You know, I'm very thrifty, and home security just screams expensive. Simply Safe has tons of packages, so everyone can stay safe on a budget. You can cover just your front door or get sensors on every window and cameras in every room. But for 24-hour coverage, it starts at just $15 a month. Okay, well, paying some stranger to come set up a security system for me in my house during a pandemic doesn't really sound that appealing. Honestly, I'm a little surprised you wouldn't welcome a guy in uniform into your house, but not to worry, it's totally DIY. I set up my own system in 20 minutes. But if for some reason you need help, they have someone you can call. Okay, Smarty, how about for those of us, as example, you and I, who are renters, we can't even paint a wall without permission. How do you expect us to install a huge security system into our homes without damage? That was my biggest concern as well, since I'm a renter. But you don't have to put holes in your wall for Simply Safe. All of their sensors use 3M strips so you don't damage the paint. Even if you move, you can take your system with you. You do love a good command strip. Well, I guess that covers all of my concerns, but I'm sure there are other systems out there too. Why Simply Safe? Well, you mean besides the thousands of real customer reviews and myself telling you it's great? Well, US News and World Report named it the best overall home security of 2020. Why not take a little bit of stress out of your very stressful life and invest in your own safety and security? Check out Simply Safe today. Murder in the Rain listeners who sign up with Simply Safe get a free HD camera. Dude, free stuff. Okay, okay. I'm going to check it out by going to simplysafe.com and using the promo code slash rain, which is what you, dear listeners, should do to receive a free HD camera. That's simplysafe.com slash rain. Free speech sure gets thrown around a lot these days. As Americans, we don't have a ton to feel lucky about right now, because as of recording, we're all dying of a virus and in the midst of a civil uprising. And by the time you're hearing this, who knows what'll be going on. But we do have our freedoms, to an extent, and everyone's favorite is our freedom of speech. We can say things about politics, religion, sex, other countries, our own country, anything we want, and we won't get in trouble for it. Right? Well, that's where the confusion seems to be coming in, especially for people like Jeremy, who love the freedom of speech. But as we've watched Karen after Karen lose their jobs due to their exercise of that right, it's important to realize the freedom of speech is a right that protects us from government regulations on speech. Freedom of speech is not free of consequences. Do you have the right to tell your boss that her outfit looks like a trash bag? Yes. Does that mean you can't get fired for saying that? No. Jeremy Christian had become quite the fan of freedom of speech over the years. He was even interviewed about it at a political rally just one month before the attack. Have a listen. 
No, I, I am here to provoke anyone because we live in a domestic situation where the only political affiliation that makes any sense is nihilism. I'm not on any of your sides. Not on your, I'm the news. I'm the news. You want the real news? Goose flesh fact, Micah Fletcher was at the same protest, but on the other side, since, of course, a freedom of speech rally is really usually just a ruse for a pro-Trump or racism rally. At one point, Micah, dressed in a red nose and juggling hacky sacks, stood in between a man that was taking issue with what Jeremy was saying and the man that would attempt to take his life just a month later. Micah stood there, juggling, asking them to all chill out and not take it so seriously. At trial, that freedom became Jeremy's defense, that not only was he practicing his God-given American right to free speech, he was also protecting himself. From what exactly? Well, from the attackers on the train, from Micah, Tallison, and Rick, the men that stood between the two young women, protecting them from his vile words and hateful looks. He went on to say he felt like he was going to be attacked by the men, and he felt unsafe like he had in prison— which, that does sound like PTSD, so that's fair. But who was it that purposefully brought a knife on the train, used loud, horrific, attention-seeking language, and responded to anyone with posturing and threats? From time to time, we will get a message or review saying that we are victim-blaming, saying someone deserved something or they put themselves in a position for the outcome they received, which, frankly, I'd rather brush my teeth while drinking orange juice than to have someone say they perceived us as victim-blaming. And that's just the show, something we do for fun. We work hard to not do that because, for one, we don't believe it. We might make a comment here or there that can be misconstrued, but we would never think someone should be hurt by someone because of a choice or job or lifestyle. Except for, of course, pedophiles. So, like I said, those are silly reviews that mean nothing. It doesn't involve someone's life. Are you ready for some real victim blaming? This is who the defense brought to the stand to talk about de-escalation. Now, was it the best idea for Micah to have hopped in the middle? Obviously not. Is it something I would and have done? Absolutely. Even in my years of de-escalation training, I would not have just sat there. Anyway, so the defense, in defense of their self-defense defense, had this guy say this about a young man that was stabbed in the neck when he intervened physical and verbal altercations. Well, he's already been presented with two people, so that's a disparity, two on one, right? And now he's being thrown down by somebody that's been very aggressive with him, smaller than him, but still yet throwing him down. He gets up and he gets thrown down again. So what is is happening at that moment in terms of your analysis for escalation, de-escalation, use of force? Well, so now Mr. Fletcher has become the aggressor. Why do you say that? Because he threw Mr. Christian to the ground twice. When you knowingly Mm -hmm. bend that truth into a light that could benefit someone, Mm -hmm. oh, that gets me so wrapped up. To watch that video... And not only the size, but the weaponry, the intention, the everything. There's another clip um, or uh, something else he had said at trial, which was he was like gas on a fire, saying that about Micah. And it's like, to how do you... To an extent, you... I understand. I totally to get it. To an extent. But when you come straight out the gate with that kind of racist jargon throwing at young right. people on a train everyone automatically thinks it's going to go to violence. There is not one time where I've ever seen someone being 
that verbally aggressive where I didn't in the back of my mind think at any moment they could throw a punch. Right. So anybody watching that and listening to that would, I think, feel the same way. Like he was being threatening and they tried to deescalate in the only way that they could. Yeah. Like you said, to take that money to sit there and say that. Is... You pass on that job, man. You're just what a scumbag. So, yes, in my opinion, this guy is a bastard. To watch the video of the attack, look at their sizes, and to be able to say that Micah is the aggressor and that he throws him to the ground. If you watch, Jeremy never actually, like, goes did down. Did they, down. by chance, use the fact that he did Taekwondo against him in that? Like, they definitely trained. Dis- they discussed it. I didn't watch every bit of trial, everything, but he, um, Micah discusses that. But he flips it as you most people that do any kind of martial arts he's like that means i know how to protect myself there are rules to it yeah that was his whole point of like it it centers me and i know how to be safe not yeah so that means i can go and attack people so yes if you were to be holding a training specifically about de-escalation and intervention you would teach to walk away but to have the balls to sit in that courtroom look out at a man that killed two men for no reason look out at another young man with a visible scar across his throat and look out at the families that feel the ripple effects of this event daily and to say that he was like gasoline on a fire i don't know how he can sleep at night he's actively pouring on more survivor's guilt The defense also argued that it was Jeremy's autism that had him struggling to understand the situation he was in that led to an emotional reaction. Sorry. My thoughts exactly. (laughs) Because here's where things get messy. Yes, mental illness can be the cause of some behaviors, but they are not an excuse or something to be casually thrown around when you need it to protect yourself in court. A great example of this right now is Kanye West. He is struggling with bipolar disorder. So yeah, we might be looking at his tweets as a cry for help or an unfortunate side effect of not taking his medication. But to bundle in the racist ideas he twaddles about, such as slavery being a choice or Harriet Tubman not freeing slaves, is not part of that. Too often, especially in Portland, we dismiss someone yelling out like this because we flippantly use the term crazy to bundle in anyone's ideas that seem too outlandish, scary, or dangerous. But as someone that has worked with children with autism for over 13 years, let me tell you, hate-filled rants and looking to start a fight are not really part of the deal. It can be, and I'm not trying to make any kind of blanket statements here to include every case. So to say this was caused by autism and not his beliefs or the sangria he was sipping is unfair to anyone with mental illness or disability and only adds to the stigma and fear surrounding said issues. Obviously, none of that held up as not only it is all outright stupid, but there was surveillance and citizen videos of the attack. We will have the news versions of the videos on our website, wherein the actual attack is blurred, so you won't have to see it, but you can see the initial conversations and confrontations. And in that video, Jeremy is not only yelling out to anyone that will pay him mind, he is specifically targeting Destiny and Walia. And when Taliesin steps up to intervene, followed shortly by Micah, you see very clearly that Jeremy Christian pushed Micah and Taliesin before any other physical interaction had taken place. So there goes the self-defense argument. The rest is consequences. Having people step up to you when you are threatening and being racist to others is a natural consequence of your actions. You can't hide behind your rights when you are violating the rights of others. Not to mention telling you to shut the fuck up is also in their rights. It goes both ways. 
In a big duh, Jeremy Christian was found guilty on all 15 charges that had been brought and sentenced to true life. That decision came after victim statements were read in the courtroom, during which Jeremy once again showed his true colors by shouting out a response to Demetria Hester, the woman he had attacked the night before the stabbings and had already yelled at during an earlier court interaction. I blame the system for creating and facilitating people like Jeremy, and then we, the community, have to deal with them. In my case, the white supremacist got special treatment from the police, the police officer Gaskin believed the assault was made by the assailant. He didn't believe me or the two TriMet supervisors. The police captured, not killed, a racist white supremacist known to the police, holding the bloody knife he attacked and killed people with while drinking wine from his Gatorade bottle. And to Mr. Jeremy Christian, your mom should have swallowed you. You are a waste of breath. And when you die and go to hell, I hope you rot. See you there, bitch. <laughs> no, hey. Go back what to I, Tennessee, no, too. You, what do I tell go you? Go back to Tennessee, too. You can, we don't want you here. Bye. All your race made and bullshit. Bye. You ain't gonna be married either, bitch. You ain't gonna be married either, bitch. This woman, she is so strong and brave and to sit across from a man that not only came close to attempting to kill you, but killed others and say your mom should have swallowed you. I wish she could see my standing ovation. The two young ladies that were the original target still carry the trauma of that day. The verbal attack, the threats, the fact that two, almost three men gave their lives to stand up for what is right. That is a lot for anyone, let alone teenage girls, to grapple with. Micah, Demetria, Rachel, Marcus, Sean, and everyone that survived or witnessed that day carries it with them, be it mentally, emotionally, or for Micah, physically. Within hours and for weeks following, the Hollywood Transit Center was the memorial for the men that gave their lives for what Portlanders believe in the most, love, equality, and justice. Eventually, the stuffed animals and balloons came down, but permanent art has been placed as a memorial. I remember when it was at its peak media, just avoiding it sometimes because it's just so horrendous to think somebody would do that. And and talking about the first the victim that went off on him in court, mm -hmm. just that nobody stood up for her. That's mm -hmm. very and sad to me. What if he had been talking to a white male? You know, it's like people say, well, not everything has to be political. Not everything has to be race. Not everything has to be that it's a guy, you know, all this stuff my dad and it's like it doesn't have to be but when you step back and you look at everything it is so if it had been maybe a 45 50 year old white man standing there on the platform saying that's the guy that attacked me would the cop had walked right over and arrested him and detained him and saved lives maybe yeah, I probably I mean, probably it's a lot of shoulda, woulda, coulda at that point. But I think there, there's a problem in general, whether your race, gender, whatever, 
a problem in general of people not standing up for each other. You look at places like China where you can be legally prosecuted for discovering someone and helping them if they don't have an actual person that did it. Have you heard of this? What? I didn't follow any of that. There's a horrendous story you can find online about a child that was ran over in the street. Oh, I've watched it. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're talking about. Well, it's because they have trained their country to just not get involved because right. they're at fear of going to jail on their own i guess that's my bigger concern too is like if we're not willing to stand up for what's right for each other mm-hmm. that, that is a huge issue yeah so luckily people were willing to do that but then it cost them their lives so they all that did, did was yeah. reiterate the mind your business stick to your let you know let's just let that crazy guy because i've been on the train and you hear stuff like that and you're just like oh, oh yeah. they're schizophrenic or they're you know having a mental health crisis but it's normally more a talking to themselves the volume kind of fluctuates you know the tone changes it's not this direct thing whereas this was a direct attack which is so different so well and that that gives you reason of why these men stood up exactly they saw and heard something that made them fear for those girls lives Mm -hmm. yeah mike even talked to trial saying you know I ride transportation all the time. You hear stuff like oh, yeah. stuff happens. Walking to my office. Yeah, you, hear you don't stuff. you don't step into every situation, but there are obviously ones that are different. And this guy, you know, Jeremy Christian, he went in with that purpose. You know, he's he no he different doing. than any other. You know, you just encounter those people in your lives. Um, you know, I was explaining this case to someone the other day and it's like the thing that happened at Hollywood theater that I talked about, you know, where it's someone just looking for trouble for the sake Mm -hmm. of it. And it's just like, I just feel like going out and starting some trouble. And that's exactly what he was doing. So it's like, yeah, it's what, how do you, you hate to fall for it per se, but it's also like, you can't let these teenage girls, let alone anyone else. I don't care how old someone is or the color of their skin, but like, to just leave them on their own, to not even stand there and be like, hey, girls, come on over here. Let's get you on off this train and we'll put you on the next one. I mean, anything. Because he probably would have followed anyway. Yeah. Like you said, he was looking for a fight. Have you done any research on anything he's diagnosed with or medications he's on? Or No, I didn't find any medications. Um, and I'm sure that's not, you know, HEPA, but... Um, they the defense and again this is the beauty of true crime and justice system in general whereas you know on another episode we talk to a defense lawyer and go wow that's really fascinating and interesting and on this one if we had talked to someone i'd be like listen here you son of a bitch like how do you how can you even walk in that room how can you watch that video and sit and all i could think of when i was writing this case was picturing these defense lawyers sitting around going what's our angle what's our angle to try to get this guy off it was it this was not a he has pled insanity and we have to prove it this was a guilty or innocent yeah and it's on film and they're sitting it there and they're spinning a plea bargain situation yeah. if you ask me and they're sitting there and he's taking they're like okay well you're pro f- free speech so we'll say it's that and then we'll say they were attacking you. like i i've spent hours watching videos you can watch him at rallies you can watch him in court every court appearance he wa- i mean his first arraignment he walks in and he goes free speech or die oregon wake up and if you don't like it get the fuck out of america and it's just like he could he couldn't not do it it was so whatever ingrained who he he is yeah became his identity absolutely was he like this before he was shot so they had character witnesses at the trial and you know had known him or uh you know an ex-girlfriend or a neighbor and they all basically said the same thing that he was this 
kind of quieter kid and then went to jail for those eight years, most of which in solitary confinement. And jails, you know, prison systems are inherently racist. You have gangs right. yeah, and hate groups, groups and you can be affiliated with yeah and it's like well if i mm-hmm, right? if i need to survive for eight years i better pick a group okay i guess i'll go with these guys mm-hmm. the neo-nazis and they'll they got my back and then that's what else are you going to talk about think about or do than this f- super focused thing so yeah so then they the witnesses said when he was out he definitely was like much more angry talking about these subjects but with way more intensity when he went to jail for the eight years he was shot before that right and then he went to jail yeah so yeah so the i'm wondering shooting like, came from... i am not by any means trying Ooh, to explain I think I know where what you're he's going. doing was there a head injury i don't think everything i saw in it was just that he was shot in the face so they didn't even say head so i think and you, it just... that's why his face looks the way it does i imagine i'm un- i'm unconvinced i think we need to look into you never there's know a brain trauma. tbi and not and i'm not saying this explains anything but there's a lot of research about head injury and mm-hmm. then violent behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not opposed to that being an answer as well. Sure. But then it is also, you're still picking what you're saying. This isn't, Oh, absolutely. you know, absolutely. this wasn't a, a Tourette's incident on the train. You know, it's, you're, you're picking what you're saying. Well, and even if you have Tourette's, I've never personally seen or met anyone with Tourette's that goes on racist rants that, like that. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we're agreeing. Stop fighting. With <laughs> just, I, I don't know. It's just such an interesting case because, I mean, as far as I know, there's no repeated history of child abuse with him. Or he wasn't right. raised by white supremacists, I don't think. you know? No, it was just lived with his mom. Pretty. So then it becomes so our prison system perhaps did this. It definitely this. contributed to it. So then one way or another. Piece that together with head injury, mm-hmm. conditioning in prison after a head mm-hmm. injury to hate people that are not are not white yep yeah it's like a perfect storm for this is why we talk about our system being broken <laughs> because well, look at all this all, domino effect we have all over to go place. in with this the victim is telling the truth yeah or we could really get in trouble right and then pair that with her skin being a certain color it's mm-hmm. just really hard for me to understand Ugh. yeah We try to understand these monsters, put the name of an illness to them, blame their childhood, call them crazy, anything to make it feel like these aren't the people we cross paths with on a day-to-day basis, that we couldn't encounter such horrors while doing the most mundane things. While in my non-expert opinion, Jeremy Christian does show signs of some sort of personality disorder, it's okay to be unflinching and unwavering in the diagnosis of being a huge piece of shit. Just, he's a racist asshole piece of shit. He's not much different than the man I stood in front of the other day as an argument ensued between a Black Lives Matter supporter and a giant baby racist of a man that had his hand on a knife in his pocket. It's okay for us to look around at everything going on and say, we don't need to look much deeper. We can stop with Occam's razor and call it like we see it. These are tantruming, angry, fragile, unsafe men. Men more willing to kill than to go on any longer feeling like they aren't heard because it makes their little egos hurt. While I obviously know and support that mental illness comes into play in many of these situations and that being in our prison system will have horrible effects on a person's brain development, I will not support the idea of adult men that don't know how to manage their emotions or fragility. 
While you shouldn't put yourself in danger or try to be a hero, it is more important now than ever to step up to those that are hindering the safety or freedoms of others. If you see something online, call it out. Hear something in public, call it out if you feel safe. As Micah said in court, whether or not something is appropriate, if it's right, you should do it. And that line came after the uh, defense lawyer was asking him why he was losing, using such profanity to talk to Jeremy. Oh, boy. And that it was inappropriate. <clears throat> so you get to pick and choose your profanity now. Mm-hmm. Sounds like our reviewers, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that goes for you too, feds, the grown men whose salaries my taxes pay as I watch you take orders from a draft dodger to tear gas moms, dads, teachers, counselors, veterans, nurses, and grandmothers. I'm done with hate. I'm done with excuses. And I am done with cowards. Yeah! <laughs> hey everyone, Alicia here. I know you're ready for the bloopers, but be patient. They're coming in less than two minutes and so worth the wait. Boy, things sure can change quickly around here. Since recording this episode at the end of July, there have been some updates that I would like to share. One being about Demetria Hester, the survivor from the night before the attacks. Remember when I mentioned she wasn't a quiet, meek woman? Well, she continues to prove that she isn't. As Portland rapidly approaches our 100th night of protests, she has been a prominent figure. She started with the Wall of Moms, then aided in the formation of Moms United for Black Lives. Then, on August 10th, she was arrested. All the headlines read, Hate Crime Victim Arrested at Protest. Because she is known around town and in the activist community, and no one could believe that, especially after she couldn't get officers to arrest Jeremy, that she was the one being arrested. The charges were dropped almost immediately since she was peacefully protesting, but that didn't take the gross taste out of our mouths regarding, well, all of it. Another pleasantry to occur has been the attempted murder of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin, the protests that followed, and the murders of Anthony Huber and Joseph Rosenbaum. While Emily and I frequently half-joke but not about pedophiles being basically the lowest form of life there is, we still believe in people serving their time and being given second chances. But we will not tolerate anyone on any of our pages making comments about these men deserving to die because of a Maltov cocktail or their past imprisonments. So how about some good stuff? We recently asked our social media followers if there were any business owners that would like a shout out, a COVID commercial per se. So here are a few of them. And if you are a small business owner, especially female and or BIPOC owned, please email us at murderintherain at gmail.com with COVID commercial in the subject. Let us know what your business is and where people can find you so we can share it. You might as well call cross-stitching Hansel because it is so hot right now. And you can find some awesome cross-stitch work from two of our friends that donated to our live show. One is Mama Bear Creative. Just type in Mama Bear Creative, one word, on Insta, and get yourself a fabulous piece of art. Then visit Rapso Needle, that's R-H-A-P-S-O underscore N-E-E-D-L-E, to get another hoop or a mask or a scrunchie. Use the promo code RAIN20, that's R-A-I-N-2-0, to get 10% off your order. 
For a female-led horror podcast, check out The Eerie Americas, all one word on Insta, or look them up where you're listening to this podcast right now. And while you're there, look up hashtag history, that's the word hashtag history, or visit them at hashtag history-pod.com, the perfect show for history buffs and newbies. Another live show donor is Say Say Boutique. That's S-A-Y-S-A-Y underscore boutique. They have the cutest items from socks to skirts. And with the code Murder in the Rain, you will get 10% off your order of $25 or more. Finally, well, now I kind of wish I had Josh or Emily here with me to promote leather, but I will say everything Half Pint Leather sells is vintage and or used. And you can visit them on Instagram at half pint underscore leather. Thank you for being patient and supporting these small businesses during these wild times. Now what you really came here for. Roll that beautiful blooper footage, Danny. There's a piece of metal like in one of the legs. So if you move it just right. It's so like... now we can't record while you're moving your desk around? That's no, bullshit. I know. That's I wanted to point. do a whole episode about reorganization. Me? No, you talk. Oh, you talk. You, you talk. You talk. You talk. Emily, you talk. talk. Can I you love... turn myself up for me? I'm sorry, could I get a little bit more volume in me? <laughs> I'll take anything. I like to rub her back sometimes. Never seen it. She's I've done never it twice seen in 20 touch. years. <laughs> Remember how we were talk talking about the sexualization of eyes? I'm having the worst night. Like, what happened? She goes, well, I was making out with you-know-who in the bathroom. And he I love the bathroom makeouts. Just fecal matter floating around. He licked her eyeball. I've heard this story. And then says... Do you like that? Oh, did she? We'd have to 69 our own heads to be able to reach. Really? Tongue to eyeball. We both have to lick your eyes. How dare you? Some of her friends watched it with their mom. She's just not. I'm not into it, mom. But I'm going to watch Heart of Dixie for the 17th time this year. <laughs> Kids are so weird. So weird. <laughs> the things they like. Insane. Well, like we were talking about when we were kids, we were both watching like big empty nest fans. That's like, yeah. that is not for us. That's like it's about a middle aged man. <laughs> yeah. No. You could do it like um, a glory hole style. <laughs> yeah. Let's go ahead with the rest of that plan. What are you talking about? You know what a glory hole is, right? Boy, do I. I almost put, I almost, it said, what's on, I, um, I was trying to search for <laughs> your thing and I almost posted Emily, Ra yeah, what's on your mind? <laughs> Emily Rowney. <laughs> I've drawn a diagram of us looking each other's eyes. <laughs> it's pretty easy. Okay. It was redundant and boring. Decision. <laughs> You're cut. You're dead like a Sims in a pool. <laughs> I'm sorry that you had a traumatic loss of a Sims in no, a pool. No, I used apparently. to do it on purpose. I like to make graveyards at my house. Oh, and it's sous chef, right? Yeah. Sue. Okay. Say sous. Sous <laughs> chef. I'm Versace. <laughs> It's, it's for uh, Mine's been bent dangerously enough. <laughs> or like I saw it and I... <laughs> home alone, I screamed. <laughs> I love that you just... Dangerously enough and, and his face... Hands on your cheeks. <laughs> it's very scary. Your eyes got big. A terrible feel. You do, I mean, it's a terrible feeling. And it looks like... It looks kind of like when you... Uh, the show I was watching If you yesterday. bent like a... Well, not a regular garden hose, like a huge one. No, <laughs> but like an average, a, a slightly very a little bit bigger than average. A gas like a hose. fire hose. A yeah, gas hose. that's right. Gas. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you took like an actual fire hose, but like double that, yeah, that's what it's like. 
I don't know why I went full Stallone on that. Sorry. (laughs) My boy voice has gone into Stallone. Like Jessica Lange is probably amazing. And she plays the best bitch because she gets that she can be perceived as Oh, Jessica Lang. I was thinking of Jessica Tandy. I was like, she she gone. The Daisy. The titular. The titular cocoon. I never get to say. Oh, yeah, Daisy. Yeah. started that movie, though. Yeah. You should finish it. It was just on FX, but I'll watch it again. I never get to say titular, and I certainly didn't mean titular cocoon. Working and watching TV, whatever. And then I was like, oh, I should make dinner. And then you said that movie. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll have some dinner and watch that movie. And then I looked, I'm like. It's 10.30. Which movie? Uh, the Hate You Give. I don't like movies that It's a use... social. Yeah, I know. They, that have a U instead of well, you. Well, there's a reason for I that. But, uh, I know. Like U571. I think they did. They did, a, they did a good job. They were texting on the boat. He chucks. He had a Gatorade full of sangria. Hits her eye. Splits it open. It's all swollen. Sangria. I'm yeah. sorry. That's just. Yeah surprising <clears throat> i figured him for like a bud light type you'd think so he just likes a light little refreshment when the police <clears throat> sorry hello hello <laughs> <laughs> so when you're caught like hiding a body in your yard emily just why be like i'd no. be hiding a body in my yard we know i would dispose of it properly and you don't have a yard yeah, i don't have water at my house i have seen nutria off your balcony at my old house maybe this what is a old... worthwhile argument <laughs> I love the sexy new diapers mm-hmm. that they have going. They're like, it's like the real thing. I really do think, whenever I see that commercial, I do think about what it would be like to slide a pair of those babies down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you were sensitive. Sensitive boy in a turtleneck, writing poems <laughs> about my feelings, wishing I could touch a boob. That's your high school anthem. <laughs> Sure is. <laughs> I feel like it's still. Except, <laughs> except for the, for the turtlenecks. Yeah. I don't have. I don't like pillow. F- I don't have pillow feathers. I don't. Feather pillows. Kind of stuff. I hate feather pillows. Do you know why? Because the p- feathers stick out and stab your face, your and face. then you pull it out, and then you have a little pile of collected feathers that are making an escape. Like what fucking century are we in? Honest bird feathers. Uh, you know, I don't want feathers. Could I get one with hay? I'm very flexible. Mm. Are you? Yeah. Cool. Just tell me if it sounds shitty, because I'm trying to make it cool. like... Oh, we will. I we know. Will. I'm trying to... We, we yeah. savor that stuff. And to watch that video... Quietly. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking a yeah. lot about Steven Seagal this hour. I don't know why. Our moms should have swallowed us. <laughs> My dad reminds me of that often. <laughs> And that she was supposed to be aborted. Aborted. He likes to at talk. My birthday party. He likes to talk about that at her birthday he parties. So We're sitting at birthday dinner, and he's like, "Well, funny. good thing she didn't listen to me." Myself and my dad and her together is just a oh, fucking yeah. nightmare because we all think you know we're so nightmare? smart. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I haven't met the other ones, but. Uh, <laughs> We were playing a trivia game one time. She was trying to fight the answer that was on the card. I'm like, I've done that. <laughs> you. How, were you right? Yes. Sometimes they are wrong. What was but it? It was I can't. I don't remember. Oh, I thought it seemed like a, a huge story. Oh, like, you remember everything. I'm wallet. so sorry. I thought you had a good memory. <laughs> God. How old is them? Uh, <laughs> I say Shagney. Shagney. Yeah, okay. Like Shagney. Yeah. Like, okay. Shagney. Yeah, the okay. end of a T. Shagney. Shagney. It wasn't me. <laughs> 
spit so hard. You fuck. <laughs> Saying bad words in our bloopers. <laughs> and I, okay, they get mad at the bad words, but not that I was stomping around in vag flaps. Yeah. I was mortified that my freaking coworkers probably heard that. Waffle stomping. You could say vaginal flaps, but how dare you? How dare you say the F word, you my young... Chi- my child's in the car. Is this sweet bus. <laughs> is that it? That's it. That was fucking excellent. Great. That's going to be great. It's so hot in here. Murder in the Rain is produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Written and hosted by Emily Rowney and Alicia Holland. Artwork by Jamie Costa. Music by Kai Pfeiffer at kyfifer.com. Check out our website, murderintherain.com, for additional information on all cases, a fun interactive map, and be sure to subscribe so you can receive our newsletter. Check out the Mad Props page for coupon codes from some of our sponsors. We love your reviews and seeing them on all streaming platforms, especially iTunes. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And suck my balls. (laughs) Please put that in. Maine, the northernmost state in America, usually thought of as a quaint, safe vacation destination. Our motto is, the way life should be. But did you know serial killer John Joseph Jobert was raised in Maine and was convicted of three stabbing murders of young boys? Or the unsolved abduction of baby girl Ayla Reynolds, supposedly stolen from her bed near Christmas 2011? Her body has never been found. These are just two of the main stories Murderific has covered. We cover crimes from all areas and main cases as well. Murderific True Crime Podcast, hosted by me, Bernadette, can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or go to murderific.com. We will be executing podcasts one crime at a time. Hey guys, this is Julia from Always Time for True Crime. Every week, I get into a new case about murder, missing persons, and serial killers. My podcast is all about the lesser known cases. So, if you're looking for something beyond Ted Bundy or John Bonet Ramsey, head on over to Always Time for True Crime for some new true crime stories. You can listen to Always Time for True Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, Stitcher, and more. You can listen to Always Time for True Crime on Apple Podcast. Spotify, Castbox, Stitcher, and more. Hi guys, this is Julia, the host of Always Time for True Crime. Each week, I cover a different case about murder, missing persons, or serial killers. My podcast strives to bring attention to lesser-known cases and give you guys some new true crime stories.